0: This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's Community Access Media Organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz.
1: Kia ora. You're listening to the locals on 89.0 Free FM. Kodanantrong Toko Wengoa. The other week I got an email from Carol wondering why petrol prices seem to be higher in Te than elsewhere. That got me thinking. Not just about petrol prices, but the broader picture. So late last week I had a Zoom interview with AA to find out what's happening. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals, and this is Terry Collins and why petrol costs more in TA. Currently today a barrel of oil
0: is 83 $83.32, and a refined litre of fuel is $0.63 US dollars, so it's about $0.15 refining costs. That arrives at New Zealand, refined at $0.91, then we add $0.70 2 for the fuel excise duty, $0.09 for the emissions trading scheme, $0.06 for the ACC motorists levy that covers accidents, and 1.2 cents for a little bit of regional tax and to administer the fuel quality system. Uh, you yeah, add GST to that, uh, and it comes to 2 dollars four. Then I'll say, with prices of $2.24, that only leaves about 20 cents for the, uh, the, uh, the oil company, the, the retailer, and the costs of getting it transported around. So the margins aren't big. And in, in 2019, Z Energy only made 4.4 cents a litre on all the fuel it made, net profit. So if you take that net profit away from about that 20 cents, you see that those costs and the margins to the service station
1: aren't that big. I suppose if you're selling million, literally millions of litres, it's all going to add yeah. up, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Hey, look, and I've also got the price of 91, 95 in diesel today, terribly Ultra Honda and Cambridge.
1: And and what do those differences look like?
0: Well, to be perfectly honest, if you take all three areas, for ninety one there's a twenty three point two cents difference between the highest and the lowest. There is the same amount of difference for ninety five and there's a thirty one point two cents a litre difference for diesel. But diesel's only about a dollar forty three, so percentage wise that that is quite significant.
1: So if all those communities are, you know, sort of 20 minutes away from each other, why has the price fluctuated so much? Um, Competition,
0: volume, different business models. Where Gull operates a very low-cost business model, it establishes a site, it is unmanned, uh, it operates by swipe card only, and it's self-filling. So it has a very low overhead. So as a consequence, it um, maintains relatively modest uh, prices. Compare that to other service stations that have full service, maybe even a person that will go out and fill it up for you if you so desire, but has a number of other convenience things like toilets, uh, car wash, uh, air for your tires. And then there's a shop next to it, which will be selling coffee, pies, magazines, and all the other uh, things that a motorist may need. And so they, their profit comes from both the convenience store and from the sale of petrol, but they have a much higher overhead
1: as well. So if I wanted to lower the price in Te Mutu, so make, make it at the bottom of that 20 cent difference, would I be pushing for a gal to be in Te Mutu? Yes, you could.
0: Basically, in Te Aumutu, the... Cheapest ones are pack and save. And why are they the cheapest? It's because they can offer a discount because they make their money from selling groceries. In fact, the recent Commerce Commission investigation into the supermarket trades said that the duopoly that currently exists appears to be that they're making excessive profits on their capital. In other words, they're charging making sufficient profit margin to cover any discounts that they may give on petrol.
1: So that $0.06 cents or $0.12 cents they give away really doesn't affect them at all? No,
0: it's actually more of a incentive to get you to shop at their uh, location.
1: Interesting. If this is happening locally where you've got such big fluctuations, is this a, a nationwide trend? This is a nationwide trend. There is no such thing now as a national average price
0: because all it is is These extremes exist between whichever area you're in. Uh, It happens in Otago, it happens in Auckland. Um, It's even more pronounced in Auckland because they have a 10 cent regional fuel tax. So um, it basically comes down to competition. Recently I I looked at the difference between uh, Rotorua and Taupo. Rotorua had 19 service stations, Taupo had 13. Fuel was on average cheaper in Rotorua
1: because of the competition. If I want to fill up the tank, what are the, what are the tips I need to have in my mind? What's, what are the best steps to take in that regard?
0: There are a number of uh, phone apps if you've got your listeners are uh, tech savvy. One is called Gasby or Gaspy, and that will give you the daily price, the highest and the lowest in your region for the greater fuel that you want. I would encourage your listeners to use that app and to go to those stations because the because the profit margin is so low, as I said earlier, um, Z Energy made 3, 3.6 cents a litre last year on their fuel. Mind you, it was COVID affected. Um, they need to sell large volumes and they do sell tens of millions of litres. At the retail level, if you're selling a lot of fuel for a very small markup at a lower price, the other stations have to usually respond if they want to maintain their share of the market in that area. So by your listeners going and populating those cheaper ones and saving themselves money, they're also putting pressure on the other stations to respond with a lower price. Also, use discount cards. Get as many as you can, loyalty cards, and save them or use them astutely. Some allow you to accumulate those points over a two month period, so that in some cases you may end up with a dot, depending on your petrol usage, no, a, a dollar or almost two dollars um, off a litre of fuel, up to 50 litres. Uh, some of the discount cards have special days where you get 10 cents instead of 6 cents. So fill your car up on those days. And if I go for a long trip, I live in Wellington and I go to the Waikato, I look at Gasfly and find out where up in the country is the cheapest fuel and I fill my car there, um, not necessarily at the end of the journey, perhaps halfway through and then on the way back top it up again to make the most of those savings.
1: Do you have any sort of sense of how much someone can save over a year if they're making just these little tweaks here and there?
0: Um, that's a very good question. I would say it's $600 it's to $700 is a rough guess. Again, it depends on it because a new, a new car usually does about 17,000 kilometres a year and of on the fleet vehicles. And so they've usually got some good fuel car discounts already going. Uh, second-hand cars, usually private motorists, average about 11,000 kilometres travel a year. So just work out the fuel efficiency of your vehicle,
1: times it by your savings, and you can do a quick calculation on what it will cost you. We're going to take a little break right now, Terry. Um, do you have a song pick you'd like to have played? Put screen Bop
0: by the Ramones. That'll get people going. That's the first classic kind of thing.
1: Welcome back. On today's show, I'm chatting with Terry Collins from AA about why petrol is so expensive in TA. In part two, we zoom out to the broader industry. I'd be interested to go into this the sort of broader picture now if that was okay, Terry. Well, no, it's fine. It's been a full on couple years for petrol and pricing and stuff like that. Given that, you know, there's all sorts of issues with shipping right now. You know, are we going to see any issues with difficulty of getting to the petrol pumps like we've seen in the UK? Well, I think shipping is a bit of a red herring. Shipping, and there is major stress in
0: that logistics part of the market, is around container shipping. Petrol tankers are specifically designed to deliver crude oil or refined product. And they've got the same amount of tankers that existed uh, last year that exist this year. And so the movement of that is is, is not one of the issues or getting the fuel about. What it was about was about COVID. They had been producing oil at a particular level and at a particular price, and then all of a sudden COVID struck and countries locked down and demand just sharply decreased. That left them with all their storage full because they couldn't slow down production quick enough, and so that led to heavy discounting. So in November of 2020, a barrel of oil was about $41 US. As the markets opened, uh, oil went up. It was about $60 at the beginning of this year. As I said today, it's $83.32. So why it got to that level is OPEC, Organisation of Petroleum Exporting Countries Plus, which is Russia and a few other ones, cut the oil supply by about 10 million barrels, of uh, oil a day, uh, and a barrel is about 159 litres. The listeners want to know what that is. And so when they cut that production, they then only have put about 5.8, a little bit over half of that back on. And about a week ago, they released another 400,000 uh, barrels of oil production a day. What that's done is it's the good old formula of supply and demand as the demand has been going up. They've not been matching it with an oversupply, so they've been just keeping that supply down to drive the prices up. Um, I recently read that the uh, Iraqi oil minister said that he thought prices between $75 and $80 a barrel were fair for both the producers and um, consumers. Now, that's a little bit over that mark now, Uh, But that's driven also by other issues. Currently, there's a coal shortage in China, and they use coal for a generation of thermal electricity, and they've had to have uh, brownouts and even shut down some factories. So there's also a gas shortage in Europe, and they're having to use oil for the same reason, to produce electricity. So those two other energy shortages have put further demand on oil. Uh, So it's that kind of culmination of it. Generally, some members of OPEC want to produce more because they invested in production, and I think it's um, United Emirates. The cuts mean that they they can only provide a third of what they can produce, and their whole economy is based on the selling of oil. So so there's even a bit of tension within that cartel, OPEC, about how much supply should be put on some of its members want the supply to go up so they can sell more and get more money individually so there's a tension that currently exists
1: so effectively what's happening in a oil field in the uae is shaping you know 5 10 20 cents um when i get to the pump
0: it could well do if they're allowed to have their way what's really shaping it is the collective cartel of all those oil producers meeting and setting prices and setting and how they set the product prices, set production. Now, in New Zealand, that is illegal for oil companies to do.
1: It's uncompetitive behaviour, but on the international market, they seem to get away with it. Given that we're transitioning more to electric vehicles, uh, that will be consuming less petrol. How is that going to affect the government's taxing of petrol? It's a very good question. Currently,
0: electric vehicles are exempt from what's known as road user charges, and they apply to diesel vehicles. That is why the price of diesel is around about $1.43, and the price of petrol is about $2.23. Uh, um, it's a different way. It's, it's a tax based on road usage. How far you travel, uh, you contribute to the uh, maintenance of roads. It's the same as what their fuel excise duty does, that's what builds your roads, your safety barriers and the maintenance of it. Interestingly enough, when you collect the excise off petrol, it costs very little, about $150,000 to administer a scheme that makes billions of dollars for the government, because the, the, every month the cheque comes from the oil company when it's imported. They know exactly how much has been came in, they know exactly how much is due, and it's really cheap to pay. Now, That's because it only comes in at very few points. If you all of a sudden move to where you've got to record the distance of over four million vehicles uh, on a regular basis and have them paying based on that, it becomes much more expensive. And people talk about having little transponders or uh, location devices like we have in our cell phones, GPS, that raises privacy issues, uh, that raises um, expense I mean, it's a lot more expensive to do that. So it's created a real challenge for the Ministry of Transport who are currently thinking about how best to create a funding model uh, that will respond to it. But the projections I have seen are that there will not be a decrease in revenue, rather there will be small increases over time. So whatever model they're looking at, they're looking at at least maintaining if not getting more tax revenue in. And most of it's based on additional vehicle kilometres travelled. So they think we'll just, with more people, more vehicles, more distance travel, more tax, Pretty all related
1: to each other. And what is AA's solution? AA's solution is something equitable. Uh,
0: we want to have the roads funded. We're a very, we welcomed um Minister Robinson's, the finance minister's announcement that ETS money will be used in the area from where it's generated from—it's called hypothecation. So they get about $463 million from there, and we would like to see that ploughed back into transport. That's our if, our position: is if you make the revenue from for transport, use it on transport. Um, and uh, kind of electric vehicles still require a road to drive on. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, and even though a lot of the funding will be used for urban areas around uh, public transport, uh, cycling and walking to make those areas more uh, user-friendly and interrelated, it's also about trying to stop congestion and making the driving experience more pleasurable. But, of course, in your area, Waipa area, you don't have a very good public transport system and you have uh, rural um Constituents who need to have utilities and other work vehicles for the very nature of the activities that they do. And so for them, it's in the short term, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle finding an alternative to the good old utility, diesel-driven utility that they're currently using. So internationally, the real balance is about how car manufacturers respond. If they move too early into electric vehicles, they risk losing a little bit of the profit they've made from Um, their internal combustion engine. They've spent over 120 years developing R&D on these things and they know how to build them fairly well. Now they've got to to invest and Ford's investing about $11 billion globally on electric vehicles. And electric vehicles aren't going to go down in the short term in price because what's happening is that as they build better batteries, they're getting a longer range and that's Addresses what's known as range anxiety. And when they get to a vehicle that'll do about 560 kilometres, 5 to 600 kilometres on a charge, they think that's about what consumers will be happy with. Once the battery development gets to there, which is around about 60 to 80 kilowatts in power, then we'll start seeing the prices drop because they'll no longer be building bigger batteries, they'll be building the same size battery, economy of scale. Um, you just think about everything else we've ever seen, you know, prices of computers, uh, prices of solar, all those kind of things, Follow up, uh, the more they produce, uh, the less they've come. In computing, it was known as Moore's Law. For every doubling of capacity, there was a halving of price. So there will be some kind of formula that will mean that those electric vehicles will get parity. But picking the total cost of ownership to get parity within this decade. That means when you buy the car, the depreciation of the car and operating it, whatever fuel use will be about the same within this decade. And afterwards, it'll get uh, electric vehicles because they have so few moving parts and we have highly renewable electricity. will be cheap to run. And I think that's a lot of things that people forget about electric vehicles. They have
1: so few moving parts. And how, how many years until I can go and by a electric pilot. They're developing them now, and I think the answer the
0: intermediate solution will probably be hybrid. What the advantages of um, electric vehicles are? Well, a good example, it's not impossible, because if you see a diesel train going past, it's actually a diesel electric. The diesel does not power the train. The diesel is a little generator that makes electricity for the wheels the electric motors in the wheel. So they may move tens of tonnes of freight. So there isn't a capacity to actually make vehicles that will do pull heavy loads. They just have to get those designs into um, utilities and such like. They've got really good linear torque, which means they're great at towing when they get them done. As I said, a train pulls huge heavy loads. It's stuff that they need to move into that development of it now. I think the move into SUVs and utilities has been, um, has been driven by some of the standards internationally, but it's also where those motor companies make the most profit. So if they can get into that, and I know there's a lot of developments going on, uh, we're expecting to see the first of them within a year or two. Um, I think they'll, they'll be a very suitable vehicle. I think we have some of the other vehicles that would be really handy for, say, farmers are electric motorbikes. You can charge them up at the shed, at at the no, and you can run them all day right long, no emissions. You can go up the hills with them, but no, quiet on the stock. Um, no? some real advantages around that. Add some little um, four-wheel carts, no? I'll call them golf carts, but they're a bit more flashy than that because you can put bales of hay on them and you can do all sorts of things with them. No? and use them as a, um, a utility vehicle on farms. But to answer your question, when do I expect them?
1: I expect to see them in the next couple of years. How do you imagine the transport sector to be in, say, 10 years? I think
0: you some of the existing big companies that exist today, a couple of them may not be there because Maybe. of the decision. I can't say who because it's a very tiny issue around when they invest in electric vehicles and when they don't. Go too early, they might lose a lot of profit. Go too, go too late they may lose market share and the other people, the other ones have established, established themselves in the market and have taken their market share so there's a real bit of a risk about when to go and when not to uh, I still see for us in 10 years time a large fleet of petrol and diesel driven vehicles still existing I see a lot more electric and hybrid vehicles being in the market um, and I think We will start to see uh, those utilities, those either hybrids, electrics about. But we will kind of get a bit of an urban and rural split still. And we'll get a bit of a a split between those that can afford them and those that can't. Now, some people will still hold on to that older petrol-driven vehicle because they can't afford an alternative. And unfortunately, they'll pay every time they fill it up with more high-priced fuel. Uh, Where those that can afford a more modern vehicle will be able to use the advantages of electricity. Our concern is we would like to have the fleet turn over a lot faster because it's very old right now. It's about the average of 20 years. Um, If I could use my own example, I've just got rid of a car that I've owned for 15 years. And I've just bought one that's three years old. And the safety features in it: uh, backing cameras, 360-degree cameras, lane departure warnings, uh, automatic brake assist. Steer, just a phenomenal amount of safety features, and we would like to see everybody get access to those kinds of safety features for safe driving. Because really, that's what—that's what we we think safety is paramount. in the AA.
1: Thanks, Terry. I found that really interesting, and it's clear that there are many factors that decide the price of petrol. But if we want it cheaper in TA, we need a gull. Other useful steps are using the Gasby app mentioned, and being selective where you buy from. Between that, using public transport and walking, you should be able to save a few dollars and maybe even lower your emissions. That wraps up another show. You can find this and other episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, just search the locals, and I'll post those links up on the Dan Armstrong Y Parking Country Facebook page. We'll be back next Monday with another conversation from the district. But until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Hi